Daniel chapter six, why don't you turn there with me? All right, everybody doing good? Nice. Daniel chapter six, uh, we kind of touched on this on Sunday, but uh, we told everybody on Sunday and Saturday night that they had to wait to this evening to get to the real story of Daniel in the lion's den. What a powerful and amazing story. And it's, it's one that you, know, you've, you maybe saw as a child in Sunday school or colored the picture. Um, but we almost have to take a look at this with fresh eyes tonight and say, Lord, give us maybe uh, just new understanding because all these stories are there to show us New Testament truths, things that are you know, absolutely true about our walk and our faith and as we serve the Lord. So we're gonna try to take a fresh look at that. And it really begins with the, um, the, the king who's now uh, in charge. We, we saw last week, of course, Belshazzar, the king, he was uh, replaced as he was uh, uh, the last of the Babylonian kings of Babylon. Now we have Darius. Now, the big question is who in the world is Darius? Um, it was, uh, you know, in old history, uh, there were people that said, you know, hundreds of years, several hundred years ago, that there was no such individual as Darius, um, especially the Bible critics. Uh, you know, a few hundred years ago, they were like, yeah, Darius is an invention of the Bible. He never existed. Well, good news, as always, they found, uh, not only did they find that there were Dariuses, but there's actually up to three Dariuses that lived during that time that were kings. Um, and this one that we're reading about here is often referred to as Darius the Great, um, and uh, along with Cyrus the Great. And then you, you ask, okay, the Medo-Persian Empire and all that. Here's the thing that's kind of interesting is um, secular history kind of says it differently a little bit than what the Bible says. And you'll hear people that are, you know, on the History Channel or, you know, historians say, well, the Bible got it wrong here and the Bible got it wrong there. But I have found, if you just kind of follow the way we've learned about history, throughout history, is the Bible always ends up proving itself correct. And all the so-called scholars uh, that say, well, we know the Bible's wrong. Um, you know, it's funny how uh, so-called scholars, I, I think everybody's really skeptical these days, and they should be. Skeptical because there's so many people say, well, we know, and, and they're kind of proving that they don't know. Um, you know, I, 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 I hate to hit, you know, this, this topic because it's always so controversial, but, you know, I remember when I was a kid, they were talking about I was going to be an Arctic freeze. We were ending, entering into the new ice age. You guys, if you're my age, do you guys remember that? We were all going into the ice age again uh, because of global cooling. And it was a huge problem. And, and I, I, I don't know why nobody talks about this now, but everybody was talking about it when I was like 11 years old. Uh, they're like, oh, the earth is gonna, and science tells us, you know. And then it became all about global warming, global warming. And then, you know, in, inconvenient truth, by the way, speaking of inconvenient truth, you know, Al Gore's book from, or, you know, what, how long ago was that movie? Like 20 years ago now almost. Or was it 20? Um, here's the thing. Uh, I remember back when they, there was one news item I saw, you know, like 15 years ago that they went through all the hotels of this one hotel, hotel rooms and they replaced the Bible with Al Gore's inconvenient truth. Uh, and I thought that's interesting, you know, that they're, they're replacing Gideon Bibles there in this particular hotel. Um, but as it turns out, uh, his book has not withstood the test of time. Uh, not even close. New York is supposed to be underwater right now, uh, you, know, uh, you know, and th no longer existing if you read his book or watch the movie. So, you know, it's funny how critics and people say, well, we know this and we know that. 
And the truth is we don't know anything. But the Bible throughout history always is proven correct. So uh, all that to say, if you read your Bible and you kind of put the pieces together, um, the, the critics have long questioned, you know, the historicity of Dan- the book of Daniel all over, but they, they challenged Daniel's reference to the ascension of Darius here in chapter six. Um, you know, uh, Darius the Mede, as he's called in chapter five, verse 31, um, because there's no historical evidence, they said, outside of the Bible for his reign. Well, we have found evidence of his reign now since the critics have said that, but there's still debate on who he was or what was his role, all that. But I'll just give you a few explanations. By the way, they, they've, one of the things they found that proved his existence is they found in carvings in Babylon, a relief of Darius the Great, and it's an inscription underneath it that says, this is Darius the Great. So that, that was kind of nice evidence that there was actually a dude. And, and so I love that. This was that actual picture that they, somebody chiseled his head in stone there. Uh, and um, it's quite a, it's actually still very clear. And even though it's got, you know, thousands of years of, you know, uh, time, it's still very sharp and, and kind of cool. But, um, but uh, so the, the, there's, there's maybe three or four uh, explanations of who Darius is. And I'll give you, the, give you a few of them. Number one, Darius may have been another name for Cyrus. Uh, some scholars say that it's one and the same. Uh, Daniel chapter six, uh, in fact, let's look ahead before we read into the chapter. In Daniel chapter six, verse 28, um, uh, it, it says, um, so Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now you'd read that in the King James and you think, oh, so they're two different dudes, Darius, you know, the Mede and Cyrus the Persian. But uh, th- there are some scholars that suggest Darius and Cyrus are the same guy. Um, and, uh, and, and some people say you can translate this from the Aramaic where it says, um, so uh, Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, even the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So if it's and or even, that's the big debate. It was common for ancient rulers, by the way, to use different names. That was not a different, that was not unique. Different names in various parts of their realms. So Darius may have been a localized name for for, uh, Cyrus. This is the view, by the way, of D.J. Wiseman. Um, And uh, he writes on uh, history during that time of the the Babylonian Medo-Persian Empire. A second explanation of who Darius is, is that Darius was appointed by Cyrus to rule over Babylon. A contemporarily, uh, you know, um, I should say, uh, basically a small portion of the vast Medo-Persian Empire, Darius was in charge of the, 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 the Babylonian section. Um, and, and there's some biblical evidence. Daniel 9, uh, 1 says, in the first year of Darius, the son of Azuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of Chaldeans. Um, this suggests that he ruled by appointment, that, that Darius was given this appointment rather than by conquest, uh, which would um, may, make, may have made him a, a subordinate to Cyrus. Now, one thing about the Bible, the Bible, remember Isaiah said, Cyrus, I have named you by name, O Cyrus. Isaiah 44 and 45, remember that last week? So the Bible does talk about Cyrus as the guy that conquered Babylon. But in the narrative of Daniel, it, it, you know, it, it just doesn't really mention Cyrus, but it does mention that suddenly Darius, Darius is, the, is the king. So some argue that maybe Darius was appointed by Cyrus to be um, you know, the, the, um, uh, the, the king uh, by Cyrus. Number three explanation, and I mentioned this last week, there's another f- uh, view. There was a name 
Ugbaru, or um, some, some say Gubaru, <laughs> Gubaru. Uh, um, a, a third explanation is that, that the, uh, Ugbaru, the governor of uh, Gutium, uh, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing this right. I always have a hard time with pronunciation because uh, I, I read this stuff. I don't actually hear people say it. Uh, so forgive me if my pronunciation is wrong. Um, uh, but I'm doing my best. Uh, so, so uh, you know, uh, you know, some people believe uh, Gubaru or Ugabru was the uh, alias for Darius, uh, the man Cyrus appointed to rule over Babylon. So that's that, that, that's a name you'll hear bounced around in history, Ugabru, uh, who was uh, during this time. This is the view of John C. Whitcomb. Uh, Darius the Mede is uh, written uh, as sort of a, a biography of Darius by this guy. Still, uh, the fourth view, others suggest Darius the Mede should be identified with Cambyses, uh, Cyrus's son, who ruled in Persia 530 to 522 BC. And this view is held by Charles Boutflower and, uh, and he wrote a book uh, in and around the book of Daniel. Uh, uh, any of these four views that I've just said could be correct. But um, for me, the second one is the one that uh, I think is probably most common and perhaps most preferable among the scholars, that Darius was appointed by Cyrus to rule over Babylon, um, um, a comparatively small portion of, of the Medo-Persian Empire. So that, that's possibly the deal. The reason I share this with you is because of the confusion here about who Darius really is and how did he get his appointment and what is his relationship to Cyrus. The secularist and the cynic of the Bible loves to use this little question mark as, see, the Bible's full of errors. Uh, that's the way they handle it. Um, but uh, you don't have to you know, look at the Bible and, and, and kind of be freaked out by these questions. Um, just because the Bible doesn't give us all the answers on this, it gives us some hints. I just shared with you a couple of them. Uh, the Bible doesn't require us to know exactly who Darius was. Um, that's what we're striving for archeologically or historically. And the Bible doesn't claim to be, uh, you know, telling us every detail that we need to know about every person mentioned. Um, so it's kind of funny when people sort of put that false dilemma on the Bible. Um, when they say, well, the Bible doesn't tell us who Darius is. So la ti da, whatever. The Bible doesn't claim to tell us who everybody is in all its detail. What is amazing is when the Bible does tell us who people are, historically, it proves to be true every single time. Uh, so go with the Bible. Don't go with uh, History Channel or D Discoverer Channel or uh, watch out for all these so-called scholars that say, well, the Bible's wrong on this one. Uh, I guarantee they're wrong. And they will be proven wrong as they've always been proven wrong over and over and over again. Are you guys with me on that? That's an important thing to know. Uh, don't let people shake your faith. Well, we don't know who Darius is, whatever. The Bible doesn't even make us have to know who Darius is. Uh, but it is cool that the Bible mentions a guy that we only found out in the last few hundred years that he actually existed when the people said he didn't. So um, Daniel chapter six is starting with Darius's reign. And uh, let's see what he does. It says in verse one of chapter six, it says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Now the word prince is there. In some of your newer translation, uh, the word is satrap there. Uh, what's a satrap? Um, well, the word prince is probably not the better translation. The word satrap is probably a good translation because it was a sort of a, a um, ancient Babylonian uh, or Medo-Persian role of someone who was a governor 
or appointed as a governor uh, or even a protector of a certain region. So one of the first things Darius does is over the the Babylonian empire that they just took over, he appoints 120 of these satraps, which would be like governors and protectors over the whole kingdom of what was once Babylon. Verse two, and over these three presidents uh, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts to them and the king should have no damage. In other words, so that the king would do well There were leaders among leaders, and as it turns out, there were three, and Daniel was the leader among those three. Isn't it amazing that wherever Daniel went, he prospered? It reminds me a little bit of Joseph of the book of Genesis. Uh, Isn't it amazing that Joseph prospered wherever he went? Whether whether he was thrown in a pit, he was prospering. If he was sold as a slave, he prospered. If he was thrown in prison, he prospered. If he was, you know, uh, brought out of prison, he prospered and ultimately became the second most powerful guy in the world uh, because the Lord blessed him. And the Bible tells us there was kind of an excellent spirit about Joseph that made him sort of prosper everywhere he went. I love that. The Lord did that for Joseph. And I would suggest the exact same thing for Daniel. The Lord prospered Daniel. Let's take a look. It says, um, then verse three, this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Man, Daniel must have been something because for Darius, who's a new guy on the blocks, going, okay, who do we put in charge? 120 of you guys. Okay, you're gonna be spread out. Presidents, yeah, yeah, yeah. But Daniel, this guy, whoo, he's got it squared away. You're in charge of everything, Daniel. And why? The Bible says, because he had an excellent spirit about it. I'm gonna divide this, uh, this chapter into six sections. And the first section is verses one through three. And we're gonna call this, um, what, this section an elite position. God gave Daniel once again an elite position. He's second in command. This is amazing that a Jewish captive is put in this role. It's unlikely, it goes against all the odds, but I love how the Lord just says, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless Daniel because he's faithful. I think we'll see several reasons and maybe you can look for those reasons that God just continues to bless Daniel here in Daniel chapter six. Look for those reasons why God just says, I'm gonna bless his socks off if they had socks in those days. Um, I'm gonna bless those, those, uh, those things that Daniel's doing because, um, well, it says here, there was an excellent spirit about him. Now, you'll notice there um, the word spirit in, in verse three. The word spirit is, uh, you, you say, well, what is that about? Is that just his personality or his nature? It could be, you could make that argument, but I wonder if there was an excellent spirit about Daniel in that he had the Holy Spirit in him. Well, Pastor Brett, it doesn't have a capital S there. Did you know in the ancient languages, there's no such things as capitalization? That's added later by the translators. So the translators, when they translated, they thought, well, we'll put a capital S when we think it's talking about the Holy Spirit and we'll put a lowercase s when we're not. So it's up to the translators to to try to discern that. But I wonder if the excellent spirit should be capitalized there because could it be that the spirit of God came upon you know, Daniel, because that's what happened with all the great men and women of the Old Testament. You know, when Samson did his great you know, feats of strength, it says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he slaughtered the Philistine army. Like, you know, there was always this kind of, you know, uh, coming upon of the Holy Spirit. 
And the reason that's so important is because you might be tempted to say, well, good for Daniel. He had an excellent spirit. He had an excellent personality. He had a likable uh, you know, demeanor. Um, and that's why he was promoted. But I'm not sure that's exactly what it was. I think he had an excellent spirit, capital S, that was within him that made people go, wow, there's something about that person that's different. I've seen this in people that I know and love, you know, people that are just normal people, but there's an excellent spirit within them and you can see the Lord shine through them and work through them. Um, it's undeniable when you know a person has the Holy Spirit upon their life and you just sense there's something really good going on there. Um, I love, you know, watching that through my, my, uh, both my mom and my dad. Um, growing up, I, I had the parents that had excellent spirits about them. And I'll tell you why. You know, my dad would go to a construction job and he was respected in the construction world. Um, he was a superintendent of a large construction job, uh, building a, um, a huge bridge um, over the, uh, I think it was the bridge. I'm, I, no, his first superintendent job was Castaic Lake Dam. If you know down there near uh, Magic Mountain, there's a big lake down there, Castaic Lake. And, and there, there was a tunnel they built, seven miles long, intake tunnel. Uh, it's kind of an amazing thing. My dad was superintendent on that job. 23 years old, he was a superintendent. They raised him up early. Um, and, um, and people would, would just notice there was something about him. But I remember going to job sites with my dad as I was a kid and then working for him for a while in construction. I just remember all the guys looked up to my dad, not just because he was a hard worker and he kind of knew a lot about construction. He had that too but he also had this excellent spirit. So after work was over and guys were checked out and had a, they'd always come up to my dad, hey Todd, man, I'm dealing with stuff in my life. These are guys that are not even Christians saying, man, you kind of have it squared away, can you help me? And, and my dad would just share the Lord with them off hours, not on the job site. Uh, he was never you know, a slacker in that way, you know, uh, um, but he, he would only uh, afterward. And I remember guys would come home with my dad after work and eat at our dinner table. And my mom and dad would just share, share Jesus with them uh, as these guys were trying to figure out what life was about. And lives, I bet you my dad led more people to the Lord than some pastors uh, just because he had that excellent spirit. My mom, ladies would come over to our house and, and wanna just talk to my mom because she had that excellent spirit about her. And my mom and dad would say, it's not because they're amazing. They'd say because it's the Holy Spirit coming upon. By the way, this is funny. Um, we went to a little church. We used to go to a lot of little churches because we'd move around because my dad was in construction. Um, but one church we went to for a while, they didn't believe in the, they, they, they were secessionists. They believed the Holy Spirit was no longer active in the church. So the whole being filled with the Spirit uh, was not uh, for today. Well, uh, you know, it's funny because my parents were filled with the Spirit. Um, they had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now they weren't jumping up and down, speaking in tongues or flopping around in the aisle. That was a whole nother group of people. Um, uh, but, you know, speaking in tongues, you know, I, I do believe that's part one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But, but my parents, they had kind of a view that there's a time and a place for that. And that's the correct biblical view. Um, but this church that they were at, someone got wind, Mr. and Mrs. Metter are filled with the Spirit and they kicked our family out of the church. They never, they never spoke in tongues. They never did anything uh, other than that they heard rumor that my parents were filled with the Spirit and they kicked us out. So um, uh, some churches, they're called cessationists. Uh, they're still brothers in, in Christ. And when they uh, rapture, get raptured, they'll realize they were wrong about that. Um, uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but all that to say, um, this, this idea of being filled with the Spirit, I think Daniel had that about him. So when people came, they're like, man, there's just something about you. Um, you say, well, good for your parents and good for Daniel. 
But I would remind you, in fact, there's a scripture I want you maybe to jot down in your notes. Don't forget Luke eleven thirteen. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the, your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? It's there for the asking. That's the thing people, you think that the Holy Spirit just arbitrarily comes upon a person um, out of your control? Or are you just gonna start flopping around if the Holy Spirit comes upon you? People are afraid of that because they see it on TV. No, but the Holy Spirit, um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, the person who has the filling of the spirit does still control their body and their mind and their mouth. Um, there are people that are trying to say, I couldn't control it. I just jumped up and started flopping around and speaking in tongues. No, uh, it's not biblical. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So don't let it freak you out. I think because of all the freaky stuff that's happened with the Holy Spirit, people throw the, <clears throat> the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's really a big mistake. But one of the things you can pray for daily, Lord, would your spirit just come afresh upon me and, and move in me that I might be used by you. Not that I'd be glorified or get glory, but that, that you might be, you know, like a Daniel, that you might use me to encourage others. And, um, and the Lord, he says, man, how much more, like you fathers that are evil give good gifts, how much more will the Father in heaven you know, give the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit to them that ask. So I love that. That's what we see here happening with Daniel. And that is why I believe Daniel was given the elite position of second in command under Darius. That's pretty cool. Well, that brings us to the second section of this chapter. It brings us to an evil plot, <laughs> an evil plot. Uh, it says here uh, in, in verse four, then the president's and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now remember, Daniel's second in charge over all the kingdom. Soon as you're a leader, people can find fault things, you know? Um, like as soon as you're taking on any form of leadership, people are gonna sin sniff, fault find, iniquity inquisition. Uh, that's what they're gonna do. Uh, and man, if you run for the president of the United States, good luck with that. Because man, they're gonna dig deep and find whatever they can find. You know, to, uh, we, we've really reached a painfully evil era in our culture um, to sort of dig for dirt on every single person that we can think of. Um, well, Brett, there's dirt to be dug on people. Yeah, but that's been true from Adam and Eve. That's, that's kind of the interesting thing about that. But they're digging for dirt for Daniel. They're saying, we're gonna find evil against him. Uh, and, um, and it says, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. What an amazing guy Daniel was. That, that, you know, they didn't find anything wrong with him. Uh, even being an older guy now, he's in his older years and they still couldn't find anything um, you know, this reminds me really of something that the Bible teaches about because some of you might say, again, good for Daniel, Mr. Goody Two Shoes, but I, I struggle and I sin and, and people wouldn't have to look very far to find fault in me. Um, so good for Daniel, bad for me. Well, I gotta remind you, don't you know that the Lord is working on you? Don't forget, you know, um, the Lord wants you to be perfect. Be ye perfect as I, the Lord, am perfect. Does that scare anybody here? How, how far away are we from that? Well, it depends on your perspective. There's a perspective that you need to know about. In fact, let me, let me go over some of the biblical things about perfection. There's three main kind of perfections in the Bible. Um, and the, the first one's my favorite. It's called positional perfection. 
And there in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, it says this, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That's positionally in Christ. In Christ Jesus, you are declared perfect, even though we know you're full of sin and me too. But the Lord robes us in his righteousness. He imputes upon us his, his righteousness. And so you are gonna be deemed perfect before God because of this positional perfection. You are perfect right now. If you're a Christian, you have positional perfection because of the cross of Jesus Christ. I love that one. That's my favorite. The second one is what, what I'd like to call progressive perfection. You see that also in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. It says this, you know, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, while we're positionally in Christ perfect, practically you and I, we know that we're still a work in progress. Positionally, we're perfect. Practically, the Lord is progressively growing us. And hopefully as we're walking with the Lord, we're moving closer and closer to that perfection uh, practically. Um, some of you, when, but when you were first saved, you were very practically still quite the sinner. And then what happened is you started realizing, oh, doing Coke is probably not something a good Christian does. You know, and you're like, okay, meth. Yeah, I'm gonna better stop the meth and prostitutes and okay. And you started realizing, oh, that's not good. But what, what happens, by the way, when you do that stuff after 10, 15 years, pretty soon, no more you know, meth, no more prostitutes, no more, and no more, you know, you've cleaned somebody. But what happens is you realize what a wretched sinner you are even still. And maybe some of the stuff you were doing before, in some ways, it's worse than, you know, than, than the big things that you thought were huge. Isn't that what Paul meant when he said, I, Paul, am, as an old man, he said this, am the chiefest of sinners um, he didn't say I was the chiefest of sinners. He says, I am. Because he knew he was progressively moving toward perfection. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. But then there's another perfection that you should also be glad about. This is my second favorite one. Um, um, and that is promised perfection. There's several passages I could give you, but this one, Ephesians 5, 27, um, speaks of Jesus, how he washes his bride, that's you and me, the church. And it says that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, listen, not having spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. There's a, there's a promised or ultimate kind of perfection that's coming when we stand before the throne where Christ presents us as his bride, spotless, without wrinkle, uh, without any such thing, holy and without blemish. That's the promised perfection. So it, it, it all works out good in the end. And those are the various kind of perfections. So don't be discouraged when you read about a guy like Daniel and you're like, well, good for him. He was Mr. Perfect. Uh, they could find no fault in him. Well, the Lord's doing a work in you too. Don't resist that work, by the way. Let the Lord chip away at some of the rough edges in your life and don't be stubborn, but let the Lord start to show you the areas that need to be you know, fixed. And some of you may have given up long ago because you just knew you're a sinner and you haven't really made much progress. But I wanna encourage you, keep, keep plugging away and the Lord will progressively keep working on you. Um, positionally, you're saved. you're saved by grace through faith. Progressively, you got work to do. Promised it's coming when we stand before the Lord. Well, Daniel is this guy who's beautifully pictured as without error, without fault. Now, when that happens in a chapter, what does that make us do as far as the typology 
of the chapter of this book of Daniel. Anybody wanna say? Maybe a picture of Jesus. Uh, keep that tucked away because um, there are pictures of Jesus, uh, who he was in the Old Testament, like just types, um, you know, the rock that was struck by, uh, you know, Moses. The Bible tells us, First Corinthians, that rock was Christ. It was a type or an example of Christ. As he was smitten, the water of life came out and the people were saved. Picture of Jesus. And, and lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. So there's all kinds of stuff hidden in the Bible pointing us to Jesus. So when you read about a dude in the Bible like Daniel who has no record of sin in the whole book, and then here in this chapter, you're like, wow, he's, he's got no error or no fault found in him. Man, makes you start thinking, but this is pretty good. Um, so uh, this is important because we're gonna see a similarity to Jesus here uh, as it turns out. Verse five. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and governors and the, of the princes and counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. So in the second section here, as we break up this chapter, we see an evil plot, Daniel chapter six, verses four through nine. Um, now, what's interesting, this evil plot that we're talking about, these sinister dudes are, are trying to figure out a way to trap Daniel. But there's some things I want you to note about this evil plot that I find interesting. Um, notice, um, notice the first thing, Daniel's conduct is beyond reproach. No matter what they tried to find, Daniel's conduct is beyond reproach. Uh, he, he's, 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 you know, blameless. There's nothing that they can do to blame him. And that, by the way, is what I believe we're called to do. And isn't it interesting that an elder or pastor in 1 Timothy chapter three is called to be blameless. It doesn't, by the way, mean that he's perfect because then nobody could be a pastor or an elder. But it means that there's not a bunch of people going around, well, that guy ripped me off and that guy's an evil person and that guy you know, is dishonest or that guy is sleeping around or that guy, the, the, the elder, the pastor can't, needs to be a person who's, who's um, above reproach as the Bible calls it. Um, Daniel is that guy, a good example uh, for us to follow. Daniel's conduct is beyond reproach. The second thing we notice in the section, Daniel's conviction be, became a point of attack. And that's something that happens throughout history and it's something that's happening even today. If you're a Christian with biblical convictions, it's funny, in very Daniel-esque kind of days, uh, we have people that are gonna use that against you. Uh, people that wanna use you know, your religious liberty against you and make you look like an idiot or, or give that as reason to accuse you. We talked about on Sunday, 
you know, about the law of Romans, you know, 13 and the laws of the land and obeying the authorities. And when do you disobey the laws of the land? We talked about that. Um, but isn't it interesting that today we're seeing that our own Christian convictions in many ways are starting to become a point of attack, just like Daniel's conviction to be praying to his God. Uh, the third evil plot point that we look at here, the conspiracy was presented as if everybody agreed. Did you notice that? It's right there in verse seven. It says, all the presidents of the kingdom and governors and the princes and counselors and the captains have consulted together. Is that true? No, just the small group of guys that wanted to do in Daniel. But they presented it as if everybody believes this. Is there anything like that happening today? <laughs> you guys laugh because, oh my goodness, we're seeing two various crazy sides of various arguments, whether you're talking about vaccines or masks or immigration, or you know, politically, there's all these you know, divisive things and everybody knows the vaccine is perfectly safe. You're an idiot if you believe otherwise. Well, that's what they say. Um, but not everybody believes that. And there's a reason why you know, so many, you know, millions and millions of Americans are saying, uh, we're not really sure. And the FDA, well, they, the booster was not approved and why? Shouldn't we have the right, right to question certain things when you, I mean, it's amazing to me how, um, you know, the, the conspiracies that we see, you know, it's, they wanna make it as if everybody agrees. And if you're, if you're not on their team and you don't agree, then you're a complete imbecile. That's exactly what they were doing to Daniel. Everybody, not everybody. They even said all the presidents and all the governors and all the princes were consulted. Daniel wasn't consulted. Because uh, they couldn't say this. Daniel would have said, nah, let's not do the pray to you know, uh, Darius thing. That's a bad idea. Daniel would not have agreed to that, of course. So they're lying here and they're falsely uh, making this conspiracy as if everybody agreed, everybody's all excited and Darius was quick to believe it. That's kind of interesting to me, the evil plot. But number four, as we see this, uh, and the Bible is always so relatable, it just amazes me. Um, the command was des designed to be unaltered. Um, remember we talked about the Medo-Persians were a constitutional monarchy. So once something's signed, you, even the king can't alter it. Um, so they knew they had him. If they could get this to be signed, this rule for 30 days, nobody could pray to their God um, and they could be thrown to the lion's den. Um, the command was designed to be uh, unaltered. And then the fifth observation of this evil plot, um, the critical error the presidents made. The thing that I find interesting is that oftentimes these evil plots, they only think through the plot so far, but they don't kind of follow it through with the natural way it would probably come out. What, what happens? You know, they obviously knew that Daniel had favor with Darius. They presented as, as if Daniel's on board with it. And then Daniel's gonna be the one busted. That was their whole point that they're trying to frame Daniel. But what's gonna happen to them? Like they didn't think through this very well, if you ask me. I would think, okay, so we, we get Daniel convicted and then Darius has to throw Daniel to the lion's den. And, um, and then he's gonna have to throw his friend in the lion's den, the guy that, that Darius likes and sees an excellent spirit within him. And, 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 and you gotta think past that a little bit. Like what's he gonna think about us after he has to throw his friend in the lion's den. They didn't think it through very much. Do you ever get a sense? <laughs> For example, our withdrawal from Afghanistan wasn't really thought through very well. 
or some of the other things that are happening today. Um, you know, there's a lot of crazy going on today. And it's, it's, it's amazing because one of the things you kind of, like, like think about defunding the police. That's a political thing right now. Everybody's like, defund the police, defund the police. They, or they were, you know, people were saying that. But now we're starting to, people didn't really think through the logical long-term, wow, okay, you have no police in a, in a city like Portland. Hmm. And now with police and firefighters, uh, we're not gonna have, you know, there's hundreds of firefighters that are not gonna be on the team because of the immunization problem um, and nurses and doctors. And, and we're at a, we have a shortage of nurses and doctors, but they're letting a bunch of them go right now because the, they, the medical profession, a lot of people in the medical profession are saying, we're not getting the shot. That's amazing to me. Somebody is not thinking about the natural, what's the natural future of fewer doctors and fewer nurses? And I would argue that maybe some of the better doctors and nurses are the ones saying, yeah, we, we really don't think that the vax is what we want to do. And again, I'm not, if you were here Sunday, I'm not anti-vax. I'm just saying, uh, I think we've lost our minds <laughs> as a nation. But I see this evil plot of the book of Daniel and I see a very similar, uh, similar kind of thing going on with some of the evil plots that we're seeing. Now you say, well, Brett, who's behind this evil? Are you saying it's Joseph Biden? No. <laughs> Boy, I gotta resist some things here. Um, it's not Joseph Biden. I don't think he's got any thoughts of, of evil, of evil. Um, I, gotta, I gotta be careful here. There's no thoughts of evil. But, uh, but, um, but here's what I do believe, that Satan has an evil plot that he wants to bring the world into the position where he wants the one world government, he wants the one world economic uh, you know, community, and he also wants a one world religion. And the book of Revelation tells us that's what's gonna happen in the end times. We're seeing the evil plot of Satan carried out through different people, I think, in the world, but it's global. It's not just the United States. Globally, we're seeing all the puzzle pieces come together and you and I kind of sit there and go, this doesn't make any sense. What we're seeing doesn't make any sense unless you read your Bible and you go, oh, this makes perfect sense. Everything that's happening right now as Christians, you should be going, man, the Lord knows exactly what he was talking about. Um, that's why we do our prophecy updates, by the way. And I think people are maybe, a lot of people in churches are avoiding that con, uh, conversation, but it's a good conversation to have. And it, it, it kind of brings a little bit of sense to why we're seeing what's happening going on. But the critical error these presidents made in, in framing Daniels, they didn't think it through all the way. And we'll see what happens to them in the end. So uh, there you have it, this evil plot. We see that in verses uh, four through nine, the evil plot. Now we go to uh, an excellent prayer and that's verses 10 and 11. It says, verse 10, now when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went into his house and the, his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. In verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Um, we looked at this on Sunday and we kind of did a little deeper look at this verse and, and, um, and, and we talked a lot about prayer first. Question, and I know this might sound brutal and make some people feel bad. I'm not trying to make people, how, how has your prayer life changed since Sunday? 
or since Saturday when we gave this talk about, about prayer and we talked about morning, noon, and evening. We, we gave a bunch of talk about prayer. Did that change anything between last Sunday and now? Um, just something to think about. Remember, we, we, we don't wanna be just hearers of the word. We wanna be doers of the word. And I'm just asking, this is a good point for us to check. Did we get anything from Sunday? Uh, that's something I have to ask myself. Um, but this excellent prayer of Daniel is truly a model, I think, for us. One thing that I didn't talk about on Sunday, and we'll just add one little thing to this observation. Notice that Daniel had a specific place where he went to pray. Did you notice that? Where he did always before, he'd go to this place in his house where he'd open up the windows and kneel toward Jerusalem. We talked about that on Sunday. Why toward Jerusalem? You know, why did he open the windows? All that stuff. But he had a place that he, he did always and he went to pray. Do you have a place where you go that's you know you can carve out some time. Um, and, and these days, it's not just a place, it's a isolation that you're looking for. Um, put your phone down and focus on the Lord. You know, uh, I, I feel like we're so distracted. Uh, Daniel went to a little place where he, he knew he could pray and seek the Lord undistracted and do it biblically. And I think we should also look for that place where we're undistracted uh, from all electronics and all that stuff. But we see here this excellent prayer and that brings us to uh, the next section of this, the effective protection of God uh, given to Daniel here in verses 12 through 23. Let's take a look. It says here in verse 12, then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man shall ask a petition of any God or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, that Daniel, <laughs> which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. How do you think Darius was trying to deliver Daniel? Man, he had to find a loophole. He had to find some kind of loophole that would get him out of the law that he signed. Now, this is an interesting thing. You know, I, I find this phrase very important for you and me to know. And that is that Darius was displeased with himself. And by the way, this is what sin always does. When you do something that makes you realize, man, I'm such a loser. What, did I, what have I done? You know, if you're one who's saying, man, I, I feel angry at myself. Well, you have to understand often that's because of sin. You've done something sinful. And by the way, this is just something that, you know, I have to remember and you do too, is when you are displeased with yourself, make sure that you confess your sins before the Lord. Because that's the problem. Darius was lifted up with pride. He thought, oh, I'd like for people to pray to me. That's a good idea. And he signed a stupid law and he was flattered by these wacko presidents and he gave in to something that was really a Looney Tune idea to begin with. And now because of his sinful, prideful act of having people sign or him signing that law into, into, into action, now he's like, oh, I'm so displeased with him. Have you ever been displeased with yourself? Man, you just go, I can't believe it. Paul's like this, isn't he? In the book of Romans, when Paul says, oh, I do the things I don't wanna do and I don't do the things I do wanna do. 
Man, that's the, the, the plight of the person who's trying to walk with the Lord. We all find ourselves in moments where we're displeased with ourselves. but this is what sin always does. You'll find yourself displeased with yourself. And verse 13 kind of cracks me up. They, they, you know, these people, they're just asking for it, if you're asking me. Because they say, King, didn't you sign a decree? Uh, and the king's like, yeah. Well, that Daniel, it's like on the playground when you're in second grade. That Brett did this. And like, it's like this little tattletale thing. Man, they're just cruising for a bruising, if you're asking me. These guys, that Daniel, and they're forgetting one of your close friends, the guy who put second in king charge of, of the whole kingdom, that Daniel. Man, they, you could just tell they're, they're sort of dripping with sort of, they feel like they uh, have been maligned somehow by, by Daniel being put in such a high power. You just see their envy and jealousy and their ugliness coming out. And man, that can happen to all of us. Just the ugliness coming out when, you, when you're talking against someone. It's always interesting because you know, you'll, you'll never get ahead by putting others down. And that's what these guys are trying to do. They're trying to put Daniel down, but you're never gonna get ahead with that. They're saying, that Daniel, I just, what a painful deal. Well, uh, verse uh, 15 says, then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no decree nor statue which the king established may be changed. You better keep your word on this one, king. Now they're playing with fire right now, or lions as it were. These guys are just dumb, if you ask me. Remember the, they hadn't thought through the whole thing very well? This proves it right here. Remember, King, you signed the decree, but they're forgetting he can sign whatever decree he wants to tomorrow. I decree anybody who's called a counselor or president to be, you know, thrown into the lion's den. Like, that's all he has to do. Sign it, it's, you know, you're done. Like, he, he's got all the power, even though it's still a constitutional monarchy. These guys are forgetting that and so, um, you know, and then it says in verse 16, then the king commanded and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Daniel, uh, thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And that's something. Here's this pagan Medo-Persian king saying, Daniel, that excellent spirit I know about you, there's something about that God that you, well, what, what was he accusing Daniel of? Daniel was a guy who, who said, who they said, he's a, he serves his God continually. And we see this several times. We'll see it before this chapter's over again. That's one of the things they said of Daniel. Daniel serves his God continually. Man, I love the persistent walk that Daniel had with the Lord. He wasn't an up and down believer. He wasn't a, a, a fair weather Christian, if you would. You know, I, I worry that sometimes our faith sort of wavers based on our conditions and what our situation is. But Daniel, having gone through several kings and kingdoms, uh, all kinds of troubles and trials, but his faith, he served the Lord continually, unwaveringly. Man, th this, is, this is something that I love about you know, Daniel, um, that the Lord marks him as that. And the people of the world say, man, that God you serve continually. Even Darius has enough faith watching Daniel's faith saying, that God that you serve, he, he'll deliver you. And the thing that's amazing here is Darius is actually right about this. He's this pagan king who's right about Daniel's God, even though Darius isn't really calling it his God. Well, let's read on. Verse 17, and a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet 
and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Verse 18, then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him and his slept went from him. Now this kind of cracks me up. This gives us a little snapshot into the life of a king in those days. Oh, tonight, no, no musicians. Uh, <laughs> it's like, like, I'm too troubled to have the, you know, the Beatles come in tonight uh, and sing some songs or like whatever band would come in and play his little music to woo him to sleep. Like this is the life of a king in those days. Yeah, no musicians tonight. Um, that's interesting, but he's fasting. This is interesting. This is how much Darius, this king, cares about Daniel. You get a sense that Darius is super bummed by his stupid decision and he's really, whatever he's doing, it doesn't say that he was praying and fasting. He was just fasting. Now, there were practices of fasting before other gods in these times. So we don't really know where Darius is at, but you almost get a sense, and maybe you were told this by your Sunday school teacher, but you almost get a sense that Darius might be seeking the true and living God. Maybe he's asking, oh God of Daniel, please, you know, you kind of wonder if he's fasting and asking of the God of Daniel. Like, I don't know. Um, but we're gonna see Darius get closer and closer to a, an understanding of who Daniel's God really is. And so he says, you know, thy God whom thou service continually. Um, and then he goes and fasts and stays up all night. Well, um, verse 19, then the king rose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with lamentable, lamentable voice unto Daniel. And, sa and, and the king spake and said, Daniel, oh Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually, there it is again, able to deliver thee from the lions? Now I wonder how long Daniel waited before he answered. <laughs> I, I picture Daniel sitting on some rocks down there just kind of with the cats, kind of. I don't know, I, we'll have to check out the video. <laughs> then verse 21, Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. Now pause for a second. Daniel should have said that. Well, I wonder if Daniel, you know, that's the thing they said of kings, O king, live forever, as sort of a way to sort of butter him up. First of all, Daniel has no reason to butter up Darius at this point. Would you agree? Like there's, no, there's nothing in it for him. At this point, what more could he do to Daniel? To, you know, but I wonder if Daniel is, has a better insight that maybe Darius is gonna live forever um, you know, because of a belief. Uh, I wonder if Daniel's saying this sort of as a, a statement of faith. I don't know, it's interesting to think about though. Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths that they have no, uh, not hurt me for as much as before him innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, I have done no hurt. Man, I love this. God um, delivers Daniel from the mouth of the lions. And what does it say here? He sent his angel. Um, he sent his angel and shut the, the, the lion's mouth. The question is, who was this angel? And it could be any number of things. It could be Michael the archangel, could be Gabriel, probably not. Um, but it could be, and you can dig in this one a little bit, but it could be the angel of the Lord, which would be the same sort of appearance that Jesus showing up in the fiery furnace, it could be Jesus who came in and showed up in the lion's den. It could be. 
The, uh, that, that, that term in the Old Testament, often we see the angel of the Lord. It could be Jesus, a, a Christophany of Christ. So some argue that this is the angel of the Lord, but you can't, I wouldn't die on that battlefield, but uh, my God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth. That's how it worked out. Now, this is, uh, this is pretty cool because um, I believe there's many lessons. Probably the most obvious, I think, is that sometimes the Lord um, puts, allows us to be in situations where you think you're toast, but the Lord, he comes through. And, and sometimes I wonder if the Lord allows us to get to some of these places where he wants us to trust in him. You know, Daniel seems to have no problem with this. He's thrown in the lion's den. He doesn't ever seem worried. He always seems calm. He's always cool and collected when he talks, but I love it. He doesn't freak out. Get me out of here. Yeah, I made it through the night. Now get me out of here. None of that. Like, yeah, the Lord delivered me. The angel came and shut the mouths of the lions. What about the paw? What about the paws of the lion? You know, have you ever seen the paws of a lion? I mean, Daniel must have fallen asleep that night, just kind of scooched one of the paws over. He says a pillow, just kind of like, I don't know, but somebody, the angel had shut them out and held the paws back, apparently. Um, I love this. The Lord just completely delivered Daniel from his predicament. Um, can I remind you that this is what the Lord wants to do for all of us? His word tells us this over and over and over again. Let me go through some of my favorite Psalms, by the way, that remind you of this. You can quickly jot some of these down maybe in your notes. Um, one of my favorites, Psalm 6, uh, verses eight through 10. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity, for the Lord hath heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord hath heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all mine enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be ashamed suddenly. Do you feel falsely accused and attacked by people? Because that's what these guys did to Daniel. But Daniel was a guy who knew what it was to put his trust in the Lord. And, and you might have accusers or people who are falsely accusing you. And by the way, one thing you should remember is the word falsely accusing. That's kind of important. You know, Jesus had a bunch of people accusing him falsely of all kinds of things. And if you're trying to make your argument, well, I'm just not gonna say anything because I'm just being accused by, but if, as long as the accusations are false, if they're, if they're legit, then you probably can't use the, I'm just being like Jesus thing. That's where you gotta confess your sins. Uh, and then you can ask the Lord for help. But until you confess, um, you know, but anyway, I've, I just, I think it's funny how people are gonna turn this around. But if you truly are being falsely accused of stuff, man, the Lord says, you know, let your enemies be ashamed and sore vexed. Let them return and be shamed suddenly. Psalm chapter seven, verses one and two. Oh Lord, my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rendering, uh, pardon me, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. Um, you know, David is a guy who killed a lion and a bear. Don't forget that the psalmist knew what it was like to, you know, kill. Can you imagine what it'd be like to kill a lion in Bible times? I mean, if you got a 30 odd six, that's one thing. Uh, but, but when you got a slingshot with a little rock, um, how close do you have to get to the lion before you can actually kill it, you know? Um, it's kind of interesting, but I love how, you know, David sort of gives us these Psalms. Psalm nine, verses nine through 10, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee for thou Lord hath not forsaken them that seek thee. Man, I love that. So, Psalm 17, verses six through 12. I have called upon thee for thou will hear me. 
O God. Incline thy ear unto me and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass about me. They are enclosed in their own fat with their mouth, they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. You see, the psalmist actually talked about lions, uh, you know, and it's interesting because that's, um, that's something that we have to be aware of. We'll talk about that in a second. But all that to say, uh, Psalm 18, we'll finish with this one. Um, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is uh, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. If you're in a Daniel-esque kind of situation where people are falsely accusing and wanting to do you in, um, man, you can, you can remember that this is God's specialty. He's got all kinds of scripture that tells us that he will deliver us from our enemies and we can put our trust in the Lord. And so I love this. Uh, what a great and beautiful section here of this passage of, of the deliverance from the lions. Um, but that brings us um, then to what we're gonna call, um, well, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's read, what, what verse do we just end on here? Verse 23, it says, verse 23, then the king, um, it says, then the king was exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Why was Daniel not hurt? Because he believed in his God. It's called faith. Just believing what the Lord can do to save you and, and uh, just trusting in the Lord. That's what Daniel does. I love this. Um, so we have here uh, just, um, you know, the, kind of the end of this section, uh, you know, of what's going on here, the effective protection of God. Well, that brings us to the next one, an extreme punishment. <laughs> what's gonna happen to the rulers and presidents who made all this stuff happen to begin with? Verse 24, and the king commanded and they brought those men which, he, uh, which had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children and their wives, and all the lions had mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Their bodies didn't even hit the floor. Now, some of you are saying, but Brett, why are the women and the children thrown in here? Don't know. Um, that wasn't God's decree. That was Darius flipping out. I'm just gonna say it. Um, that God didn't say, okay, throw them in. And see, sometimes God gets blamed. Well, why does the Bible say they threw their kids in? God didn't do that, nor did Daniel. That was Darius having a temper tantrum. Now, now I, we, we, I think we'd all say good for them if it was just the guys, but the wives and the kids. But there is a truth here that I, I need to express that I think is important because the Bible doesn't condone this. God doesn't condone this. Daniel doesn't, doesn't condone this. But it is in fact what happens. What do you mean? I have found that when we sin, 
and when we do evil stuff, it hurts the people that are closest to us as well. Um, you know, you see this when, when, when a mother or a father sins, the kids are often, sadly, the ones that are the brunt end of the trouble. Divorce, you know, it's the parents, you know, mistake, um, but it's so hurtful to the kids. Oh, I've seen this for so many years. I, you know, some of you say, but you should be so hard on divorce. Listen, I believe divorce is not the unpardonable sin and, and the Lord will forgive you and give you a new start, of course. And man, God's gracious to the divorced person, but there's a reason God says, I hate divorce. And it's because it rips people apart. I think there's a body, soul, spirit, you know, the three part of a human, all three of those get ripped, your body, your soul, your spirit with divorce. But it's so sad to see the collateral damage from divorce. And, and again, I know the Lord can restore the years that locusts have eaten and God is faithful to do that. But you know, you see these stories in the Bible once in a while where some dude sins and then his whole family gets judged. Can anybody think of somebody else that that happened to? Somebody said it, Achan. Achan took of the accursed thing there at Jericho and because of his sin, his whole house, his wife and his kids are all burned in fire. Um, man, that's, that's the problem. So we have here an extreme punishment, but beware sinner. When you and I sin, it's not just you that's gonna pay the price. Oftentimes the repercussions of sin kind of go past you and can hurt some of the people you love the most. And I think this is a classic example of that. We have extreme punishment there in verse 24. Well, that brings us to the final section, uh, uh, verses 25 through to the end here, uh, an exaltation proclamation. <laughs> What's that? Well, it says verse 25, then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. So this is a big proclamation over the whole earth. Um, Peace be multiplied unto you. Now, who's he starting to sound like? Paul the Apostle. That's just like Nebuchadnezzar. Peace be multiplied unto you. Like this is a changed dude. And he says in verse 26, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall even be unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth and worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This um, exaltation proclamation, you know, the king is starting again to sound like the apostle Paul. Um, this is the effect that Daniel had on the people that he was around. People came to know the Lord when they were hanging around Daniel. Some of you are like that, where people start hanging around you and they start changing. Are you the hammer or are you the nail? That's the question. Daniel was a hammer. Wherever Daniel went, he changed them. He influenced them. He drove them to the Lord. But some of you are people that are, instead of being the hammer, you're the nail, you're driven. So when you're working out with your friends at the gym, you're driven more in a, you know, nasty jokes and a few cuss words here and there and sort of leaving your Athey Creek thing behind a little bit because you're with your bros at the gym. Um, you're the nail instead of the hammer. Um, are you the hammer or the nail? Like, that's a good question. When you go to school, high schooler, and, and you're there, are you becoming more like them or are they becoming more like you? 
Daniel, wherever he went, people started talking like Paul the apostle. Like that was his effect on people. And it was because the power of God was being used through him and in him. I love this, very, very key. Um, This is the effect Daniel had. Now, before we wrap it up, just a quick thing. Um, There's a couple things here that are, are interesting. Even as Daniel was falsely accused, Jesus was falsely accused. They said things like, Jesus said that he would destroy the temple. Is that what Jesus said? No, that was a false accusation. He actually said, if you destroy this temple, speaking of his body, in three days I'll raise it up. But they have these men of Belial, which is a way of saying liars. And they spoke against Jesus and they had all kinds of accusations against Jesus. But remember, all those accusations were false. Um, That's kind of an important thing. You see, the reason that's important is because, you know, um, Jesus then was thrown into a tomb after they crucified him on the cross and they rolled a stone over. Even as Daniel was thrown in the lion's den, they rolled a stone over. Then the stone was opened and, and Daniel came out alive. I think there's a kind of a neat picture of what happened really with Jesus as he was falsely accused, thrown in. Well, Brett, where's the lions come in? Well, Satan. See, there's a couple, there's a couple different lions in the Bible that you need to know about. Um, Satan is called the roaring lion, 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking whom he may devour. 2 Timothy 4, 17, Paul talks about Satan as, as being a lion. Um, so you gotta understand that. But as it turns out, Jesus is also referred to as a lion. In the book of Revelation, chapter five, verse five, Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. I think one of my favorite parts of the C.S. Lewis series, you know, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia, is the depiction of Aslan the lion, which is a allegory of Jesus. And there's other lions in the story, uh, if you read all the books, but they're nothing compared to Aslan. You know, Aslan's the one, and, and, and there's, there's so many cool pictures that uh, C.S. Lewis paints about, you know, Jesus really as being Aslan the lion. Aslan, or however some people say. I had a buddy who had a dog and he named him Aslan, and that's why I say Aslan. But so I mean, what do you guys say, Aslan? That's too bad. Anyway, um, no, I'm just kidding. Just, just, just kidding. I'm, I'm criticized when I say Aslan. Um, but, uh, but Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one that's gonna prevail. Satan is a roaring lion. He's a toothless lion. He's a has-been washed up lion. Um, and he's going down lion. That, that's, that's what we have to understand. Um, and I, I love this story of Daniel and the lions and it points us to Jesus. It reminds us of who Jesus is and it makes us look forward to the coming of Christ, really, I think. Uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah that's gonna make all the wrongs, all the craziness and all the accusations and weird stuff that we're seeing today. The lion of the tribe of Judah is gonna come and fix all of that. So we have things to hope for. We have something to look forward to in these crazy times that we're living. Well, speaking of crazy times, chapter seven of Book of Daniel. We're gonna get in now, you know, after we get out of chapter six, we kind of start leaving the stories of Daniel's life and we're gonna start getting into some of these deep and important prophecies around the last days, the end times, the Antichrist, uh, and it's quite powerful and important. So don't miss uh, next week as we dive into Daniel chapter seven. Let's pray together. And Lord, we are so thankful that you um, are the one who is victorious. Though people accuse falsely, um, though people try to do crazy stuff, even in the world we're living, Lord, we're seeing all kinds of crazy things happening. But Lord, we also know that you are not the author of confusion or strife, but you have a plan and a purpose. 
We have heaven to look forward to and eternity with you. I pray, Lord, that like Daniel, we'd be calm, cool, and collected. Not because of our power or our faith or our strength. We, we just wanna be strong and calm because we know you. You are the one. Um, and so I do pray you build up our faith so that we would put our trust in you. Even as Daniel was saved from the mouth of the lions, as it said, because he believed you. Help us to believe that you're gonna work all these things together for good. Um, I pray that we put our trust in you like Daniel did. So much to learn from really in this chapter. Now just embed this stuff in our hearts. May we meditate on this chapter and your word. May it be a real part of our lives, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.